Jade from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. How you doing, Darren? I'm doing good, John, because uh, I'm looking at the laptop here, looking on my screen. Looks like we got ourselves a guest. It, we do indeed have ourselves a guest. We have a very special guest, a friend of mine from the website that we both write for, Atomic Junk Shop. And he's also the author of Silver Riders, which you can find on Amazon. Uh, my friend, Mr. Greg Hatcher. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for being here. And uh, we're having Greg here because uh, this week we're covering the movie Starsky and Hutch, the uh, movie version of the 70s TV show with Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. That's right. Came out March 5th, 2004. Uh, directed by Todd Phillips. This was his follow-up to his big smash hit, Old School. And uh, written by John O'Brien and Scott Armstrong. I looked both of them up. It seems like Armstrong written a bunch of other kind of movies in the same vein in the early aughts, such as uh, Old School, Road Trip, Semi-Pro, Hangover 2. And um, yeah, and also I, I found out that this movie, um, Thomas Lennon and Robert Ben Garant from the state uh, did some uncredited work on the screenplay. I know they're big screenplay punch-up guys, so yeah, that's not too surprising. I think they've done a lot of uncredited work on various movies. But, uh, Greg, we'll, we'll talk to you a little about Starsky and Hutch, but because we're an SNL podcast, we're also just curious, are you an SNL fan? Uh, what's well, your relationship with the show? How did you get started you know, on the show if you're a watcher? Saturday Night Live has been on for so long that it's, it's like saying you're a fan of books or a fan of television. I'm I'm old, mm-hmm. so I tend to think of the earlier years. Um, probably my favorite period of the show was uh, in the seventies because I have a lot of sentimental associations with it. Saturday nights, it was literally appointment television for me and my nerd posse. We'd all go over to my friend Joe's house. And PBS would run Monty Python at 11. And then at 11.30, Saturday Night Live would come on. So it was a big double whammy for us. And then... That's a great lead Yeah, it was perfect. Especially when your high school kids yeah. get baked. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that was what you did on Saturday nights. Uh, Saturday night in the, in the 70s, you were pretty much required pretty to, Pretty much, right? yeah. Um. And we were all nerds, so there really weren't girls to chase in our social strata. Mm-hmm. But we comforted ourselves. I feel, I feel what you're saying. Well, the, the thing that was interesting is back then it was still kind of an underground thing. It wasn't the cultural right. institution that it is today. Back then it was still sort of furtive and people didn't really know about it and it wasn't until like the third or fourth season that suddenly everybody was watching it and there were catchphrases and stuff. Um, right, right. I mean, that's that's a thing I've heard from people who were watching the show with the original cast in the 70s. It really was appointment television. And also it was like largely a pre-VCR age, so you couldn't oh, yeah, record if you missed it and watch it. it. That was it. It was like game over. Today. There was a, an LP, yeah. a vinyl record that we all played to death. That was kind of a best of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so just, just like the audio of the sketches, yes, just the audio. It was like a comedy record. 
Nice, um, nice. Do you remember which sketches were on it? Um, Anna Freud was on it. Um, I I think uh-huh. uh, uh, the Bassomatic was on it. The commercial parodies. There were a couple of the commercial parodies. Nothing that really depended on a visual to sell it. So you didn't get land shark or anything like yeah. that. Right. Yeah, I, I don't see land shark working in a it in was, a period it was of all verbal medium. humor. But it was it was a pretty right. okay uh, record. That makes sense. Okay. Uh did you have a favorite cast member? At, did at I? Um well, my favorite was always Dan Aykroyd because he was so insane and so versatile. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And we, it's a good choice. we loved Bill Murray because of his oily lounge character. Right. But, uh, yeah, the, la- the lounge singer is still one of my favorites. Oh, uh, Nick. Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars. But... Uh, yeah, and and I mean that was that was such a solid cast, and it's such a smaller cast than what you have today. Yeah, I mean they we, really did. Julie have is still more culturally habituated. My wife still insists on watching it, mm-hmm. even though we we generally only last until update, and we don't laugh uh-huh. like we used to. You know, I remember. It, you know, it can be much more hit and miss. I don't know if it's just because I'm older and more reserved or what, but I don't, there were, I rem, I have vivid memories of a Saturday night live sketch where I just literally fell out of my chair laughing and I just don't see moments like that anymore. But you know, I'm an yeah. old guy was... and I, if I hear myself go on and on like this, I sound like that guy that always said it prefaces everything by saying in my day, and that was how it was and we liked yeah. it tremble you read my mind <laughs> but i'm honestly i think the last time i just just fell over laughing at saturday night live was when chris farley was auditioning for the uh the stripper job with patrick swayze oh yeah the uh, chippendale sketch yeah yeah that's that's a classic that that's that's one of those few sketches that just seems like an instant classic as soon as it comes on you just know that that's one that's just that that's one that people are going to remember. So, okay. And, and I know, I mean, the reason I asked you to guest on this episode is because I know that you are a fan of the original Starsky and Hutch show that ran from uh, 75 to 79. I am. And you've talked about this before. It's, it's like a comfort food show for you, right? Absolutely is. You have to understand Mm -hmm. that when I was growing up, my the the media landscape was much narrower than it is now there's no such thing as right. streaming there was no such thing as home video of any kind there was hardly cable there were the yeah you had you had the three networks, three networks. Was it? ABC, no NBC, no cw CBS. no fox just three networks and maybe one or two syndicated stations independents and pbs mm-hmm. And TV was very ephemeral. You know, you saw it or you didn't. If you didn't see it, you had one more shot at a rerun in the summer. And then it just went away. Yeah. And, And producers, for whatever reason, producers would become popular in in waves. 
like Chuck Lorre is huge now. Um, mm-hmm. Norman Lear was huge in the seventies. Um, Donald Belisario sure. was in huge family. in the eighties. And when I was growing up, it was all about spelling Goldberg cop shows. It and that Starsky and Hutch started with right, and they they did like. Aaron Spelling also did like the Mod the Squad, Mod and Charlie's Squad, Angels, the rookies, and... SWAT, um, Vegas. Um, you know, it was just a laundry list of these tough guys, and I was yeah. in for all of it, starting with the Mod Squad back in '68 and on up through. Oh, geez. Well, I graduated high school in '79, so whatever. I think with Dantana was the big one in '79. But we watched. Yeah, I I remember when Vegas we watched was all yeah. of them, and and they literally for my generation, the the polyester <laughs> generation, they defined badass, and Starsky and Hutch were really you know I mean they were huge, they had posters and T-shirts and and you know it was it was. I mean, you look back and it seems almost campy, but honest to God, it was the real thing for us. We thought those guys were, right. were awesome. Yeah. And yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, because yeah, that that was the show, and I understand it started as a TV movie. I, I was watching a behind the scenes feature at the other day, and the produce the creator and producer William Blinn, who has awesome name by the yeah. way. Uh, he, he was talking about it started out as a TV movie he wrote about cops who were on the night shift and the network came back and they were like, well, we can't afford to shoot this all at nights. And he, I don't think he wanted to revise the script. So he kind of put it away for a few years, but then he, they revised it a few years later and it became a TV movie and a backdoor pilot for Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. That's a thing that they don't really do anymore, but it used to be very common. A TV movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it started because networks were running theatrical movies and getting good numbers on them. And then they would do original movies. People just liked movies. And a lot of these movies ended up being backdoor pilots for shows that were not, you know, really sustainable as a series. That's what happened with... Like like Kolchak, the Night Stalker or something like that. Kolchak was like, it broke every record for a TV movie and everybody thought, oh, well you know, nothing succeeds like success. Give us more of this, but it's not sustainable as a series. Yeah. But Starsky and Hutch had a good run. I mean, it ran for, for four seasons, which is a pretty healthy run. It did. It had a lot going for it. Um, but this is the, the thing that we laugh about now is how weirdly homoerotic it was, even though at the time, (laughs) Everybody poo-pooed the idea, but I've been doing some reading, and apparently at the networks, they were very concerned about it. And I suspect that's why it ramped up in later years, because the producers were amusing themselves at ABC's expense. But, well, and I understand that the, the two actors on the show, uh, Paul Michael Glazer and David Soule, they would, like, in in their blooper reels... 
like whenever one of them would blow a line, they would just like instantly start kissing each oh, other. Oh yeah, and <laughs> David David Soul, you remember he was like a teen idol at the time, and he he was pushing a record, and he'd do all these interviews, and he'd say things very candidly in a very method actor kind of voice. Well, I think very clearly this is a love story between two men. And you could just you could just mm-hmm. hear some ABC executive having a, a coronary. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and they still do it. Paul Glaser tweeted out something about how every Starsky needs a hutch. And it's a picture of a man with his hand on his friend's butt. And that yeah. was like a oh, that's two sweet. minute Tempest a month or two ago. But my favorite, <laughs> and, my and all-time favorite that... Starsky and Hutch story is um, okay. I have a it. dear friend. Her name is Anne Hawley, and she is a novelist. And she entered the field through kind of a weird side door. She started writing slash fiction, which is a very weird area of the fan fiction community. It's all about sexual encounters between your favorite TV characters. Right. And they don't even necessarily have to be romantically involved no, no. in the show. No, like no. I mean, big, it's just, this is just... A huge thing in Slashfic was, was Kirk and Spock. Exactly. Like That's where it gets Trek. its name. It started as K slash S fiction. And then it just got shortened to Slash. Well, Anne was yeah. writing for uh, supernatural slash sites and stuff, and uh, and and you know, I mean, I don't, I try not to make judgments. She's a very fine writer, and she, uh uh-huh. it, it, you know, if that's what she wants to do, I write Batman stories. So what the hell do I know? Um, but um, she, she. I I casually mentioned this to her about Starsky and Hutch, and she poo-pooed me and said, there's no way, not in the 70s. And I said, you watch it. The pilot's on YouTube. I dare you. And so she she watched it, and like 10 minutes into it, she's texting me, oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And they got away with this? Nobody noticed? And I, I said, no, no, everybody noticed. Yeah. But we, and it's and it's on primetime network TV in the in the mid seventies. It's so it's we've always else. laughed about it. But when I was a kid, it was all over my head. Wow. It was just that uh-huh. they were cool and they beat up the bad guys and due process was for sissies. Yeah. <laughs> And it also had that great 70s cop show thing. They would do this on chips, too, where they'd, like, you know, beat the bad guy of the week, and then they'd all go out to a disco. And, you know, that's fun. Say, work hard, play hard. It's true. (laughs) Except. And and it it seems like they'd also, like, kind of hop on a lot of the the trends that you'd have in the 70s, too. Like, you know, roller disco or pet rocks or, or whatever it was. It was, it was a very much, it was a show that seemed to be very much of its time. It was absolutely of its time. It's in fact, I have often thought that the current makeup of the Senate and the way they approach urban issues 
is severely impacted by the fact that they all grew up during the era of Starsky and Hutch. And they really think that the inner city is the cartoon place where Huggy Bear lives. Because <laughs> you can just tell from the way <laughs> and, they And they're all the cool it. rule breakers. Yeah. Interesting. I can see that. I think there might be something to that. Yeah. Because um, they just, they had this weird, irrational fear about the place. And it's not any kind of real. Right. I've lived in cities my whole life. Most people just, mm -hmm. they go to work, they go home, that's it. Um, but Starsky and Hutch worked in this bizarre, surreal cartoon ghetto. It was, it had more in common with a heavy metal comic strip than it did anything in real life. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I find it interesting that the show and the movie, they both take place in this fictionalized version of Los Angeles called Bay City. Yeah. That's that's kind of unusual. It is me. kind of unusual. Right. It was one of the last shows to actually do that. Um, uh, part of well, it was... Yeah, because they do that in, in the movie, too. The movie... I suppose we should talk about the movie at some point. The movie was this at some point, weird yeah. thing where they were really trying to honor the original show and they got all the details right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Bay City is there. They managed to get in the bit where they disguise themselves as mimes. Um, mm -hmm. They, they, uh, the Hutch's house is right. Um, helping kids in the ghetto, you know, lots of little details. And of course, the car. But yeah, um, the, the striped tomato, the, the red Ford Grand Torino with the, yeah. like the big uh, white racing stripe on the uh, side. Which which is just what you want to have when you're an undercover. Well, cop. they are. Yeah, I I remember that. Yeah, that was crazy that part. They're they're the most the best known undercover cops ever. They walk into a bar yes. and everybody knows who they are. But uh, yeah, it's it's like James Bond being a secret agent who always introduces himself to everybody first thing by his real name. Yeah. But uh, what I was going to say is that the interesting thing to me is that they got all the details right, but the basic spine of the thing, the two guys and the friendship between them, they completely altered that. You know, mm -hmm. the, Ben Stiller as Dave Starsky is almost like Mr. Furious in Mystery Man. Well, I mean, Ben Stiller, he seems to... He, he he likes playing characters who are like very tightly wound and have a lot of anger. He likes he likes playing anger a lot, it seems. And uh Owen Wilson, he's very good at playing like, you know, the bellow surfer dude. So yeah. I, I think they're 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 really just writing to the actors that they had. I think they must have been. Right. I mean Yeah. yeah. And I mean the two of them have great chemistry too, because they've been in a ton of movies together, so I think they, I mean, they've been in a couple, well, you know, my, the Royal Tenenbaums, like Permanent Midnight, they were in together. Uh, they've been into like a lot of movies together, the two of them. So they, you know, the chemistry is right in this movie, I think, between them. Mm -hmm. It is, although they well, kind of shied away from the, uh, the love story that David Soul used to talk about. That was kind of what I was showing up for. I wanted to see how far they'd push it. 
they could have done a little more with that, but they do they do hint at it. There's at a times. little hint I mean, there. Should, should we dive into the movie? The the um, the bit where he's jogging and being all wistful, and yeah. um, I think there were the the kind of pissy bickering thing was just I don't know it was weird because it kept pulling me out of the movie. Now I know that most uh -huh. people don't have the show baked into their DNA like I do. Um, we screened it again last night with Julie my wife and julie enjoyed it uh -huh. more than i did she laughed a lot and the uh, the one thing i really did love about it was uh vince vaughn is the villain he he was like the distillation yeah. of every spelling goldberg villain throughout the 70s era of their cop shows but he was also trying to be a good dad, and that just gave me the giggles. I I enjoyed that uh, contrast a lot. Yeah, I mean it's and it's Vince Vaughn, and he's got like this this handlebar mustache thing going on that you only find in like the seventies or old westerns, and that's fun. And I, I and I love that in the middle of the movie he just throws his daughter a bat mitzvah. That's yeah. fun. I mean, I remember like the first time I saw this movie, I thought that was the thing that kind of threw me off the most, like the way Vince Vaughn played the villain character. Because, like, you know, I'm used to seeing, you know, old school Vince Vaughn or swingers mm -hmm. Vince Vaughn, where he's like the fast talking, you know, smart mouth, you know, lovable smart mouth guy. But in this one, he kind of played it pretty straight. Like he's kind of like a real, like straight up villain and who also is trying to be a good dad and stuff. But he doesn't, he doesn't have too many laughs here. I thought it was like a really interesting way to play it. Like it kind of, kind of jarred me the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, he's not, He's not doing the fast-talking, uh, funny guy, lovable thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the movie starts up, straight up starts out with him uh, just murdering one of his henchmen on his yacht because uh, one of their planes transporting coke went missing. Uh, so he's just, he just straight up kills him and throws him off yeah. his yacht. Yeah, motherfucker's got to get gut. <laughs> And uh, and also uh, on the on the on his yacht, we see uh, Juliet Lewis as Kitty, his like um, you know his his gal on the side. Yeah, yeah. Juliet Lewis seems to be an actress that uh, the director Todd Phillips enjoys using because she was also an old school. I remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, she doesn't have too much to do in this movie, which I guess I mean that's something we'll probably talk about later. Where I don't know. I ha I have noticed in all these Todd Phillips movies, like the women aren't really are kind of underwritten for the most part. They're not. They don't get like the juicier roles like the, the like the dudes get. Yeah, I guess I guess they are kind of disposable. I wasn't really considering it uh, in his uh, movies overall, but yeah, Todd Phillips has really made a shift with the, uh, you know, because he did the Joker movie a year or two back, and that's quite a shift from the comedies he started out with, like Old School and Road Trip and. Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, Hangover. 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 Yeah, but like if you if you watch those movies again, it's kind of the same thing. They're all, like all the women are kind of not are like just kind of just there. There's not much to them or just, you know, they don't well, have too much depth. Well, here's to them. something I yeah, wonder it's, it's about. You guys work in comedy. Is there still kind mm -hmm. of the prejudice against women being funny? Could that be part of it? I mean, uh, you you run into that sometimes with some people. Yeah, I mean, there's still some people who have that dumb that, idea, but... 
yeah, that old school way of thinking. But I think yeah. for the most part, I don't think that's a thing. I mean, there have been a ton of movies that are proven that that's not true. Like, you know. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm not an advocate of you that. Know, yeah. I mean, like Bridesmaids alone. Yeah, uh, Bridesmaids. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think that's just like an old way of thinking. But I think, you know, movies like, you know, like you said, Bridesmaids, uh, Girls Trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the last, I even like the last um, Kristen Wiig, Annie Mumolo movie, the Barb and Star movie. So, like, there are a ton of instances showing that, yeah, the whole thing about women not being funny, that's just a bunch of uh, hooey, as the kids say. Well, I mean, you know, SNL alone, I mean, well, I, probably I my two favorite of, people on the show right now. I keep now. thinking we're done with it after Tina Fey ran Saturday Night Live for years. But, uh, yeah. But, and it was good. I mean, but. Uh, yeah, you know it's the, every so often it crops up, and I'm always surprised. The other thought I have is that I mean, there's there's never a shortage of idiots out there. You yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, hello, Twitter. The the other <laughs> thought I had though is that there's nothing in the original to build on. There are no women in the original. They're they're right. Yeah, you know the I mean, cheerleaders. You, you've just got Starsky, you've got Hutch, you've got Huggy Bear, and you got Captain Doby, and that's, that's it. it. The women in the original exist to be menaced and murdered, and that's it. the The cheerleaders in the movie got more depth and more screen time than any female in an original episode of Starsky and Hutch. Oh, wow. that's sad. <laughs> um, wow, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. There, there, are, there are two cheerleaders in this movie that are played by Carmen Electra and Amy Smart. And Starsky and Hutch encounter them over the course of the investigation. And and they're, they're romancing them in, in the movie. And that that leads to, like, one of my favorite sequences in the movie. They're... they're I mean, the, the Starsky and Hutch, they... they uncover this this packet of cocaine and they think oh we, we got the goods on the bad guy on on vince vaughn and when they bring it back to the station house and they have it tested it's it doesn't come up as cocaine and we find out that vince vaughn's character reese has developed this new synthetic cocaine that doesn't come up as cocaine in any sort of test so it's right they can they can smuggle it with impunity and 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 the cops just think it's artificial sweetener so uh, ben Stiller's David Stursky, he puts a lot of it in his coffee for the evening, and he ends up unknowingly getting high as a kite. Yeah, that's a, that a crazy scene, too. And uh, yeah. well, that leads to the disco scene. I mean, that leads to a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, well, should we talk about it like from the beginning or just kind of hop around from scene to scene? Well, I mean, yeah, we can we can get into it uh, from the beginning. As I, as I said, it it starts out with Vince Vaughn just straight up murdering one of his henchmen on his yacht, and we meet our two leads, uh, David Starsky, Ben Stiller, who's uh, who's like the uptight by the book cop, and we see him like chasing down a perp like across a rooftop, and then he you know, like goes down a fire escape, and and I got to say he he really nailed uh, Paul Michael Glazer's really frantic loose style of running. I thought that you see on the show. Yeah. And there were even some like shot for shot tribute moments in that chase mm-hmm. that I recognized from yeah. like the original credits for the show. 
Yeah, I like I watched the pilot and it's it's very reminiscent of like the big climax of the pilot because in, in the pilot, like Starsky's like running up the stairs to catch the bad guys who are going up on an elevator and Hutch is outside going up the fire escape. So it was it was very reminiscent of that, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were like a bunch of sh- there were a bunch of shots in this movie that looked like like pretty much straight out of a 70s action TV show, like that, that quick zoom in that they do for the exterior shot. Mm-hmm. And there, there was like a lot of things like, oh yeah, that that's that looks like like as that seventies action TV show feel that I, I dig, I dug it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in contrast to this, we see we meet Owen Wilson's Hutch, Ken Hutchinson, and he's accompanying some some bad guys in the course of robbing a bookie. <laughs> right. And he's he just goes along with this crime until the cops bust them and then he like pulls out his badge and he's like hey i'm a cop (laughs) (laughs) i was working on a case wow yeah and and we find out when they're both getting bowled out by uh captain doby played by uh 70s icon fred williamson that just made me happy uh, to see him in this it's fun, he's right? Perfect. Yeah, he's, you know, Fred the Hammer Williamson. Well, that's, I have a bunch of original Fred Williamson cinema here at the house. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, do you, what do you got, like Black Caesar oh, and yeah. stuff? We have a whole black exploitation nice. section on the shelf. And um, nice. I, I, it's a good time. Right. I can dig oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always will finally remember uh, Fred Williamson because he he starred in the original movie version of MASH back in uh, 1970. Um, I'm not going to say his his character name because... <laughs> <laughs> As you shouldn't. Yeah. Well, you can't even say the name of his, my favorite movie of his, which is a hell of a thing. Oh, God. He, is, is there an N-bomb involved? Uh, yeah, there's an N-word involved and... Is, uh, you know, it's been reissued under the title "Boss," but uh, but that was not okay. the original title. And yeah. um, let's we'll just call it yeah. "Boss" for now. Yeah, yeah. And the hell of it is, it's a really um, good movie, but uh, you could never get away with it today. Yeah, it's it really is amazing. Some of the things they got away with in the seventies, like both in the movies and on TV. Um. Uh, the uh, so we, we find out when Captain Doby's bawling him out that Starsky he was chasing all that whole extensive chase we saw he was chasing down a purse snatcher who got seven dollars and Starsky's like wound very tight his mother was like this big legendary cop on the force who was on the force for twenty two years and Starsky has trouble keeping a partner he's had twelve partners for the last four years and Hutch meanwhile he is. He's like so deep undercover. He doesn't file any reports or arrest anyone or just anything like he's basically just become a criminal on the police payroll. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I respect that. <laughs> so so they have very deferring approaches to the job. And of course, Captain Doby decides to make them partners and, you know, wackiness ensues. Sure. It's like y'all two deserve each other. <laughs> yeah. Y'all got the partners. Uh, and then we we see uh, Vince Vaughn having a big meeting with all his various henchmen, and his main henchman is played by Jason Bateman. Uh, it's always fun to see Jason Bateman, uh, and he's he's got like a bit of a '70s look too, because he's got like the slightly tinted sunglasses and a and, like a half mustache thing going on. So I enjoyed that. 
Yeah, and again, he, he kind of plays it pretty straight too, which just kind of mm-hmm. surprised me too. He's just not not a lot of laughs out of him either. He's like the straight man, which he does really really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a good actor whether he's doing comedic stuff or straight stuff. And and as I said, they've developed this new kind of cocaine that makes it. I, I think it's supposed to be more addictive. I think they said something like that. But the main thing is it's undetectable by drug tests or by police dogs. They bring in a police dog to sniff out the cocaine and he, he finds the regular cocaine that one person's carrying, but he doesn't find the fake cocaine. So, mm-hmm. or the, the new Coke as they call it. That's right. Oh, well that's supposed to be like a nod to like Coca-Cola new Coke. I'm or, thinking so. I, yeah. I, I'm assuming that was Didn't the joke they were after when they said it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Julie and I both kind of, I, I totally that. didn't catch that until now. Yeah. And uh, we also have, uh, I think, I think this is brilliant casting. We have, we have Snoop Dogg as Huggy Bear, who is the police informant who's like on the show, like he's sort of a pimp, but I think they never say he's a pimp. Is, is that right, Greg? Well, on the show, he eventually became a bar owner, but Huggy's thing was always that he was a failed entrepreneur. He was, he was like okay, the Ron gotcha. Popeye of, of the ghetto. He was always trying to market oh, something cool and new. <laughs> the best example uh-huh. of it was they did an episode where John Saxon thought he was a vampire. Straight up, honest to God, Dracula vampire. And so Huggy... Nice. As this vampire killer is terrorizing the ghetto, Huggy decides to market anti-vampire kits with steaks and garlic and holy uh-huh. water. For nine ninety five, makes sense. Makes sense. Sure. All right. Yeah, got a got a need he's, for he's it. He's so just always got you. an eye for the marketing. The, the mark. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and, I, you know, it, it's a seventies TV show, so of course you have to have John Saxon guest starring at oh, some yeah. point. Of course. I mean, it's it's not a TV show from the seventies or that early is 80s, actually the episode of Starsky and Hutch that I always tell people about when they. When I say the show is completely insane and they say, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. It ran for four years. And I say, no, Starsky and Hutch was fucked up. It was lit. Listen, (laughs) John Saxon was a straight up vampire on it. And they they don't believe what like undercover cops. They come up against vampires all the time. I mean, that's a standard thing. Not only that, but like. Um vampire dancers he was a dance instructor he thought he was a vampire and i'm not even a little bit kidding you can go on youtube and google john saxon starsky and hutch a vampire and see him dancing his way around the ghetto in his cape oh nice not nosferatu boogaloo yes (laughs) i like it uh well here well the, oh, sorry, the thing of it is, it's on the one hand, the movie seems kind of deranged, but on the other hand, I don't know that it would have even risen to the level of a mid midway episode of Starsky and Hutch. You, <laughs> could, you it could have gotten weirder. It could have gotten way weirder, and um, the the movie did, actually did is the TV Huggy Bear have an iguana? Mm. Yeah. Greg, did the TV Huggy Bear have an iguana, or was that an invention of the movie? That was in the movie. Okay, okay. 
because we have an iguana and when Starsky meets Huggy Bear as uh, because he's a pre-existing informant for Hutch, uh, he's like Starsky's so anal and by the book, he's saying like, hey, do you, do you guys have permits for those weapons? And they end up drawing on each other and they end up shooting the tail off of Huggy's iguana. Right. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sure at the end, if they had to say, you know, no iguanas were harmed in the making of this film. And it's just... Well, like in the behind-the-scenes footage, you can see that the the real iguana they just covered up his his real tail with like the blue screen fabric, so they just took it out with computers, right? And, and then uh, Snoop Dogg's holding like a fake iguana tail in the other hand. Yeah, but but I enjoyed I enjoyed that scene because like they go off on uh, these weird digressions, like. You know, hey, why, why is that iguana running around loose? Shouldn't you get him a terrarium? And then they start talking about what a terrarium the is. The erudite hand I, I enjoyed that. Were I awesome. <laughs> they were really good. Yeah, I, I could have done with a little more of them. They were good. Uh, well, actually, well, here's my thoughts on Huggy on Snoop Dogg as Huggy Bear. Like, I I did enjoy him. I liked him, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Part of me thought Snoop Dogg was like maybe a little too cool. To play way, Huggy Bear, way I mean, too because... cool to play Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear is a bumbler, right? He's he's he's. That's what I thought. He's like always tripping over himself. He's not the king of right. the ghetto. The joke with Huggy Bear is that he's an incompetent who thinks he's king of the ghetto. Ah, uh, yeah, because like I actually looked up, I looked it up, and according to IMDb, two other people that were considered to play Huggy Bear, Chris Rock. And Don mm-hmm. che- Don Cheadle, and I think both of those might have been a better fit because um, it's like uh, Greg said, because like on the TV show, Huggy Bear is supposed to be sort of like a low level, you know, sort of buffoonish guy, but in this movie, he's like the Godfather of the hood. He, he like he runs. Yeah, shit. that was good. that and, like, was I don't, weird. So, hmm. see, that was the thing I kept running into with this movie is that wait, but they're not like that, you know, and it's. I don't, right. I'm truly not a purist. You really can't be a purist with a straight face when you're talking about spelling cop shows because they're right freakishly inconsistent, weird, and they don't take place on the planet Earth that we're familiar with. But <laughs> yeah, but they they did establish baselines for the characters and. Like Starsky being yeah, a by the book tight ass, and Hutch being an almost criminal, and Huggy Bear being the Godfather were just all very jarring needle scratch moments for me. I mean, I think it's one of those things that like they just put Snoop Dogg in because Snoop Dogg was in old school, so maybe he already had a relationship with Todd Phillips. And I also noticed that um, in this in this one scene, there's one scene coming up where. Uh, Snoop Dogg drives up in like a link, a '76 Lincoln that they yeah. talk about, and uh, according to IMDb, Todd Phillips was having trouble finding that type of Lincoln in that color. Like he was having a hard time trying to find it, and he told Snoop about it. And Snoop Dogg was like, "Oh, I have a Lincoln, 1976. You want to just use my Lincoln?" And they use it. Yeah. So the car you see in this movie—that's Snoop's actual car. I think that's kind of cool. Kinda cool. <laughs> no, no, it is. Yeah. The thing that I wonder about Absolutely. is all the Grand Torinos they had to have gone through. Oh, they had to wreck a few Grand Torinos because, yeah, they take a beating. And even in like the, the closing credits of the movie, we see a few of them getting 
wrecked and, and beat up. Um, oh, actually, I have I have that info right here. Oh, uh, awesome. About 10 1975 to 1976 four Grand Torinos were totaled during production. Only two Torinos from the film were intact. One of them is a 1976 Grand Torino with the Starcy and Hutch paint job, and the other was a base 1974 Torino, which had been in storage. Uh, yeah, and in reality, the 1976 and 1974 Torino, which were used in the film, were repainted with the white stripe resembling the one used <laughs> on the television show. All, all, all of the movie Torinos use 15-inch slot mag rims. They're not available new, so the rims, originally known as the Anson Sprint, first introduced in 1963 and subsequently copied by several af- aftermarket wheel manufacturers, ET Wheels, Appliance, Krager, Fenton, American Racing, U.S. Wheel, until the early 80s, mostly came from swap meets, salvage yards, or eBay. Okay. So, yeah, they, they wrecked 10 cars. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and and I know the, the car on the show, that was like one of the trademarks of the show, and they, they ended up, like, car dealers were getting a lot of demand for that specific model after it became popular oh, on the yeah. show. Oh, yeah, it was a thing. Um, you could get toys so, and models, too. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had a little of that. Like, I was... I, like the show I was a huge fan of when I was a kid was uh, was the A Team and you know the A Team van that was the shit and that, you know that also had a big racing stripe, which you know you want on the vehicle when you're a, a national fugitive. Yeah, so, <laughs> you got to lay low when you're on the run from the government. You want to drive a big black van with a with a big racing stripe on the side. Big nice spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you're gonna be on the run, you got to look cool. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, so they they meet up with Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear is like their informant. Uh, Hutch Hutch is also friends with a neighborhood kid by the name of Willis, who has a magnificent afro, by the way. Oh my god, his hair was perfect. There really yeah. ought to be some sort of Oscar for the costume and makeup and and set dressing people on this movie because it was all dead on. It really did look like the 70s and they like they even got to the point of duplicating specific outfits from the show like Ben Stiller's wearing this well, big Well that's what I was going to say is it's not duplicating the 70s it literally looks like an episode of Starsky and Hutch Just right right down the line Yeah Yeah and and uh, like I watched the pilot of the original pilot of the TV show and Paul Michael Glazer is wearing that exact same big button down sweater yeah that lebowski sweater yeah and he he's also in it in uh like several of the the publicity photos from the show so it it became very associated with the show those sweaters were a big deal uh, i I love that they went to that extent to just duplicate the costumes and and you got uh owen wilson in the same sort of uh letterman jacket that hutch wears on the show costumes are pretty dead on fun fact for you they sold them at record stores and head shops and back in the day. I had one. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can, you can just pretend that you're David Starsky for one shining moment. Pretty yeah. much. Roll and, and it probably had some nice pockets to stash your weed in, I'd imagine. I know. If I had to so. run up a flight of stairs, I'd fall over dead, even in high school. But I could have the sweater. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. 
you know, occasionally slide over the hood of a car or something. And oh, nice. Oh God, <laughs> I'd I'd be the guy that flew on the hood of the car and went thud, and then went, oh God, my back, my back is out. <laughs> I read actually researching this episode that David Soule actually got back problems later in life because of a stunt he did in the pilot where he like dives on the top of a car. So, gosh, <laughs> don't try this stuff at home. No, nope. that's why I don't do it. That's why I don't do anything. Yeah, that's I mean, that's this podcast is as physical as I get. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so so the, the plot proper really starts when. Uh, Starsky and Hutch, they get a call about a dead body that's like washed up on shore. And it's it's the guy that we saw Vince Vaughn kill at the opening scene of the movie. And Hutch is such, such a bad cop. He's like, oh, well, let's just push the body back out to sea and maybe he'll float down to the next precinct. <laughs> because, you know, he's a floater. So he's going to be like really tough to solve because he's got, you know, probably doesn't have any ID. His The body's all bloated. There are no fingerprints. So and and we see Hutch actually steal money from the the corpse's wallet too. So yeah, not a good cop. I mean, he's not going to need the money anymore. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? Put it to good use. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then we see the two of them trying to figure out the you know the 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 uh, the, uh, the the Don Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're in a diner, and of course they get ragged on by you know like in every cop movie. There's the rival you know duo cops. That it gives the guy some guff. And in this one, we have uh, Minetti, played by Chris Penn. And uh, his mm-hmm. partner is Matt Walsh, who I don't think gets a name in this movie. Did he, Matt Walsh doesn't seem to have any lines in this film. Yeah, the, it's very small parts for actors of of their stature, you know? Yeah. I, I just wonder if I had more to do that was, like, edited out of the final cut or something. Uh, maybe, yeah. But, like, you know, they play the, the standard... of. Uh, cop duo that's like hey look who's here it's starsky and and butts (laughs) yeah you know you know the type yeah yeah but you know always nice to see chris penn and matt walsh right um Uh, yeah so so, so they they find an id on the corpse's wallet um that that they track back to reese feldman because he's he was associated with a, a corporation called the nearly there program uh which is like sort of a, a halfway house sort of thing to help give ex-cons a leg up because nobody wants to hire ex-cons. And, and Reese Feldman's just such a good guy. Yeah. Uh, so Helping right. out these ex-cons and not having them run cocaine for him at all. No, no. That's, that's, that's why we even get such, a, such an idea. Uh, yeah, so we see, uh, you see the two of them talk to Vince Vaughn. Um, uh, Justin, ba- Justin Bateman's there. Uh, plays Kevin and uh, Jason, Jason, Justin Bateman. Who else? Justin, <laughs> Jason Bateman. You're getting that from Justine Bateman. I probably am. Uh, yeah. Jason Bateman playing Kevin, who I guess is like his right hand man. He doesn't have. I don't think they ever say his official title. But uh, another person who auditioned for that role, Bradley Cooper. Well, well that's I, interesting. Yeah, I could have yeah. seen. I could have seen him do it. I, I could have seen him do it. And this was before the Hangover, right? Yeah, because I think Hangover came out in '08, so this okay. was years before that. And uh, we see Reese with his wife, played by uh, Molly Sims, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah. And and we find out that uh, uh, the the corpse, uh, I think, it, corpse's name was like Terrence something, I think. Uh, yes, Terrence. Uh, I wrote it down. I, well, I have it later on. Terrence Myers. There he and is. He was, he was dating a Bay City Kitty cheerleader. So of course they go out to the local 
Bay City Stadium, and they they start questioning cheerleaders. Yeah, <laughs> and that's where that's where they meet Carmen Electra and Amy. That Smart, is actually they, uh, a much more Sherlockian oh. leap of logic than they would ever take on the original show. You know, yeah, that is totally a Starsky and Hutch idea: is that all cheerleaders know each other. <laughs> 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 that's true well i guess i guess the the logic is they only have the one local football team so uh, any cheerleaders in the area would be on the same squad i guess i don't know yeah they're all in the same union <laughs> yeah yeah um so so we have a we all have a scene where they're where we see starsky and hutch they're questioning uh the, the cheerleader who was the girlfriend of the dead guy after some flirtation with Carmen Electra and Amy Smart. Uh, and they're, they're questioning this cheerleader who just, you know, just decides like, well, Hey, I've got to pick up my kid for school soon. I'm just going to change right in front of you. That's cool. Right. And they're, they're very flustered. And I thought that was a funny scene. Yeah. Boobs. <laughs> Boobies. But, I, but I like that they have the restraint that they don't just, you know, have her be gratuitously topless. We just see her back and they're, they're just playing the, uh, the awkwardness of, of her being topless in front of them without actually showing her topless. Right. You see some side on the side, but that's about it. Yeah. Cause I, it's a, it's a PG 13 movie. So I guess yeah. we can't have gratuitous boobs like we would, uh, in the seventies or eighties. Ah, uh, shucks. Um, yeah, I think this was Tyfield's first PG-13 movie, if I'm not mistaken. I did read that, yeah, yeah. And she doesn't have much for Starsky and Hutch to go on, but she gives them a jean jacket from her old boyfriend that has a very distinctive dragon embroidered on it. So that's right. their next lead. Mm, the plot thickens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so from there, uh, we see that Hutch Ghost picks up Willis from school. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, he... I think that they mentioned like, yeah, this is something I do because, you know, Willis doesn't really have his folks, you know, can't bother to pick him up. So I, I do it. I help out. His and mom I, works late on Wednesdays. Right. So right. Willis on Wednesdays. Right. I shouldn't say his mom. I shouldn't say his parents don't care. That that was rude. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then all three of them go and visit Huggy to get uh, some info. Um, they compliment Huggy on the Lincoln I, I mentioned earlier, the 76 Lincoln. Uh, he says, yeah, this doesn't come out till next year, but I know some people who know some people who rob some people. Yeah. I thought it was a good line. I like that. That, that is a good line. Yeah. Right. And and they find out from Huggy that uh, the dragon on the jean jacket, that's the work of a guy named Big Earl and who hangs out at a particular biker bar. So they have to go to the biker bar to to uh, find Big Earl. So they decide to go undercover in the biker bar. Right. And also Huggy tells them about a big Coke deal going down. And uh, I, I also like, I don't know why this line made me laugh, but when Huggy says, we talked about the thing about the biker bar, I think mm-hmm. either Starsky or, Hutch, Starsky or Hutch says, what kind of bar, what do they do down there? And he says, I don't know, they listen to Jim Croce, play darts, whatever it is you white people do. <laughs> do you do you white people do that? Is it all Jim Croce and darts? That, that's pretty much all it is, yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Every once in a while we change it up Jim with Croce a little and Johnny Mathis. Ooh, sure. but, uh, get crazy, put on some Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have, an, we have another scene in the police station of them sort of getting ready for their undercover scene. And I enjoyed this. They, you know, we, we have Starsky and Hutch 
with just their shoulder holsters and wearing these absurdly short towels, which was another thing that they just got from straight from the TV show. Where the towels were really that short? Oh, yeah. They weren't quite that short. They ex- they exaggerated, but they are wearing like extraordinarily short towels. That was one of the moments that my and, friend and they are they were on the TV show they're above the knees. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh yeah, I did like that joke how like um I think that the cops had told me you're wearing hand towels, the real towels are up there. Right. It's like right. it's like a mini skirt, basically. And they look more or less like mini skirts on the show. That I remember the towels are like a few inches above the knees. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give it, given the the viewers a little beefcake in the seventies. Me, yeah. Um. So, so they go out to the biker bar, and I enjoy the, their disguises. Are just them looking exactly like uh, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper in Easy Rider. Yes. And it's never commented on. It's just it's just there for you to pick up on if you notice it. Right. They even play that song uh, from the band that's all that was an easy writer too, right? Uh, they might have. I, I don't think I recognize the the song, but pretty yeah. sure it was that. But yeah, it, it's definitely a huge easy writer nod. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, Owen Wilson doesn't look too unlike Peter Fonda in that movie with the with the leather jacket and everything. So. I enjoyed that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. A spitting image. Yeah. And also, like, by this point, we see Starsky and Hutch, like, starting to bond a little bit in the investigation. Um, you know, they have to fight off some toughs, and and we, we see a little mutual admiration breaking out with, you know, I like your style. I like your moves. <laughs> so. John, I think we just find a new way to end this podcast every uh, every. Uh, <laughs> I like your style. I like your moves. I like your moves. <laughs> Nice. Um, but yeah, we find out from the bar that um, they're looking for Big Earl. Uh, mm-hmm. Big Earl's not there. The guy behind it, they thought the, the guy who they thought was Big Earl was just some guy named Jeff who's running the bar while Big Earl's right. in the clink in the in the, yeah. who, in the who's gal because he got pinched two weeks ago. Yeah, he got he got he got busted, and, and Jeff's just watching the place and they're like well you really shouldn't pass yourself off as the owner if you're just watching the place <laughs> yeah yeah like i watch my sister's house i don't say this is my house right right and i i enjoyed their tendency to just get sidetracked on minutiae like that I, th- I think that's that's a funny thing in this movie yeah absolutely yeah um so you know they follow this lead they go off to the bay city correctional facility and, and we get a little surprise cameo when they, they meet up with Big Earl in the big house. And it's a, a Mr. Will Farrell. Mr. William Farrell. That's right. He comes in, uh, you know, denim shirt with the dragon, uh, you know, stitching emblazed on it, wearing a fishnet cap, which I, mm-hmm. I thought was a nice little touch. And, uh, yeah, he, like, he'll give them, like, like basically, Scarcy and Hutch asking for information. He says, well, I'll give you information, but what are you going to give me in return? Oh, yeah. And they're thinking like, oh, okay. well, we can we can get you like a radio for your cell or a TV, you know, make the time pass more quickly. And he's like, no, no, I want something else. And and we find out uh, Big Earl, he's a bit of a perv. You don't say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, because he likes, uh, you know, Hutch's the way his his looks. So he wants to see Hutch's belly button. And uh, right. So, you know, Hutch begrudgingly shows him his belly button and he's like, oh, that's nice. That's like a little bowl of oatmeal. 
<laughs> which I don't even. Okay. <laughs> you know, best not contemplated too much. Yeah. Uh, oh, a side note Will Ferrell shot all his scenes in one day. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, then they want a little more information. We find out from Big Earl that um, he, he did work for like a cocaine dealer, but he doesn't really have any information, he doesn't have a name or anything. He didn't get paid in cash, he just got paid in cocaine. And he, he's somehow able to give them a sample. He somehow has a sample of this in the joint. I guess the cops didn't pick up on it because it's undetectable. Yeah, I, yeah. All right, all right, you know that. Yeah, that does make sense because I did wonder how they were able to get the coke out without it not being a big deal. But yeah, that what you said makes sense. Okay, I, I guess. I mean, this is this is just my supposition after the fact. Got it. Um, but so, yeah, and then and then. We, we see them leaving the, the prison and they're, they're, they're just very quiet. They've obviously had to do something even more humiliating. And they're, they're just like, Hey, let's never talk to the, uh, of this again. And almost like, it's like, yeah, that, that's a good idea. And then we instantly cut to captain Doby's office and we see video of the two of them. And they're like, one's riding on the other's back and they're both pretending to be dragons. Yeah. Apparently big girl has a dragon fetish. Sure. So, you know, they were acting out like uh, two sexy dragons do. Like, we're not here to king chain, but, mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is, that is different. I'll say yeah. that. I, I'm guessing there weren't a whole lot of uh, dragon fetishes on the TV show. Right, no. Greg? Actually, that was uh, <laughs> something that I actually really laughed hard at that because they came at it sideways. It's just alluding yeah. to a little bit here and there, like when Owen Wilson says, you know, if you ever actually, do you think they could actually, and, and Starsky's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, I can't hear you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, the uh, the original show, mental illness always manifested itself as homicide. Anybody who was a pervert was also a killer. Like Saxon's vampire. Sure. That was. Uh, oh wow! There were an alarming number of mentally ill slashers in the seventies Bay City, um, according to Starsky and Hutch. I mean, that was I think just most of crime in the seventies. I mean, I'm now thinking that it might have been a better movie if Vince Vaughn had been revealed to be a vampire halfway through. That would have mm, been a nice. You twist. know, I would have been so on board with some big screen version of John Saxon vampire killer. That would be cool. That would be very Especially, cool. But you got to have the so, dancing. Gotta have the dancing. Got to have the ballet dance instructor. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, so, speaking of dancing. <laughs> yeah. So, so Starsky and Hutch, they take this sample of the cocaine uh, back to the police offices and they're, they're humiliated because everybody in the precinct has seen their, shirtless dragon uh play (laughs) (laughs) and and captain Dobie is like hey this this isn't coke this is just a bag of artificial sweetener and he goes you're off the case and uh, and i don't think they have to turn in their badges or anything but they're off the case so so that's bad um and they so they they decide that their only real lead now is is the two cheerleaders so they decide to take the cheerleaders out because It's yeah. the 70s, you, you gotta go date some cheerleaders. 
damn straight. Uh, then there's like a scene where Big Earl calls Reese, tells him what went down. He's like, I didn't know you. I didn't tell them your name, but you know they know something's up, which you know gets Reese and uh, you know gets his dander up. And um, mm-hmm. then we cut back to uh, like what you mentioned before. The the guys are dating. Took the girls back to uh, Hutch's place. They're all you know they're you know they're canoodling and you know laughing and jazz mm-hmm. and jiving and all that jazz. Um, Starsky wants to make some coffee. And uh, he asks Hutch, hey, do you have any sugar here? And he's like, no, I think I'm out. So, you know, Starsky sees the artificial sweetener, the, which is actually cocaine. He's like, oh, I'll just use this since it's artificial sweetener. And yeah. he, he gets high as a kite. And also, yeah. um, and th- which leads into, like, one of the funniest scenes in this, in this movie where mm-hmm. um, Hutch tells St- Starsky, hey, like, um, I'm going to spend some time out there with the girls. Bring out my guitar and like you know, just give it to me, and I'll play something that'll that'll right. seal the deal, as right. the, as the kids say. Yeah, and and Starsky obliges, so Hutch starts playing on his guitar, and Owen Wilson sings the song "Don't Give Up on Us, Baby," which was an actual uh, single that the real David Soul released in like 1977 because he had a side career as a musician. Yeah, I thought that was, was a monster hit that. too. I thought that was a really deep cut. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think I don't know if that song is real remembered today. It was it was a hit back in the day, but I don't I don't think you even really hear it on oldie stations. You or really anymore. don't. But maybe I'm just not. Yeah, maybe I'm just not listening to the right stations. But we we see Starsky hallucinating the song, and we actually have an animated bird who comes in and like lands on Owen Wilson's shoulder. <laughs> Which is which is a neat surreal touch they just tossed in there. Yeah, right. And yeah, and just we just see like like uh, Starsky just kind of staring at him like love mm-hmm. like lovingly as he sings this very sweet song. Yeah, and, and like getting all teary eyed over. He's 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 moved. He's re- he's re- he's moved. getting very emotional. Yeah. Um. So so Starsky's got all this extra energy because he's all coked up and he's like. Let's go out. Yeah, let's go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the girls are like, okay, well, I guess we could go to a club. And so, you know, it's the 70s. So, of course, we go to a disco. And we go to a disco. Uh, <laughs> you, me, go disco. Uh, <laughs> it's good. And so, so, yeah. And when they're there, Starsky, he, he jostles up against this guy. And they, they get into, like, kind of a pissing match. And they decide to settle it in a dance-off. It's, it's Starsky versus Dance and Rick. And then we have another... Cool cameo in this movie is uh, Patton Oswalt as the disco club DJ. That's right. He's wearing a he's wearing like a big old curly afro and like a was like a satin like jacket. Yeah, uh, Patton looks magnificent in this movie. I must say he's he's got this great like almost a Jufro thing going, and and he's he like you know I loved, doing the play by play on the dance song. I loved Patton so much, and I wanted to. A movie about the DJ. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the DJ, I think, is one of my favorite characters in the movie, if for no other reason that he just displays knowledge of the future. At one he, point, he calls the, the it guy like a sportscaster. That was hilarious. Yeah, he, and he's like from the far off future of 1984. It's a funky disco robot, and I love that. The DJ with no explanation 
knows about events that are like a, nearly a decade in the future, and he knows what the popular dance trends are going to be. <laughs> he, he can see, he sees all, he knows all. He is the DJ. It's honestly one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's just he knows what the popular dances are going to be from 1984, and there's no explanation offered at all. Nope. And uh, also, I got to give a nod to Starsky's outfit. In this scene, he's like a, it's mm-hmm. like an all denim jumpsuit with like rhinestones on it. Yeah. So I'm guessing he just had that in his closet. This whole like he that's his stepping out clothes. I was like that. And is- they leave from Hutch's place, so maybe it's some of Hutch's clothes. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it is magnificent. Yeah. I think the girls have changes of clothes too. I don't. I don't understand why everybody has a change of outfits when they're all just leaving from Hutch's place, but, you know, whatever. It's a Starsky and Hutch movie. Yeah. You don't bring a change of outfits when you go out on dates? Well, I do, but, I mean, I'm a clothes horse, so. <laughs> oh, that is true. <laughs> um, sadly, Starsky loses the dance competition, because yeah, the fix is in. Like, the DJ is, is friends with Dance and Rick, so. And uh, Starsky kind of freaks out, and he, he ends up pulling his gun, and, <laughs> and that's, that's when Hutch tackles him and he realizes like oh hey this isn't just fun and games something's seriously wrong here yeah he pulls out a gun on an unarmed man and and brandishes it around the club because right. he, he lost the dance contest that's well as you do as yeah, you do I he, he had that in the bag yeah those were my best moves what the fuck <laughs> everybody's getting arrested tonight um so so the gang they all go back to uh to hutch's place i mean hutch manages to calm everything down and he he puts starsky to to bed and he's like you know i think you're high on cocaine and and he he just kind of quickly corrects himself he's like i mean from what i know of the effects of cocaine um (laughs) and you know he he goes back to the girls and uh uh, ends up having a three-way with them hey all right (laughs) as you do yeah, well, yeah, because it's like, you know, the mid-70s, and that's what you do. Everything's coming up, Hutch. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, we, we cut to the next morning. Hutch is making breakfast for, for Starsky and gives him his patented hangover cure. And he, he confirms that, I guess he had the it, it more thoroughly tested, or, or I guess he just sampled the, the artificial sweetener. And he's like, yeah, that's cocaine, all right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I, I tested it. Holly tested it. Stacy tested it. Like it's sure as coke. <laughs> so they had they had a fun cocaine three way. Oh, party, so. oh, the seventies, my lord! <laughs> Magical time. No consequences for their actions yet. So nope, not at all. What's AIDS? <laughs> um. So yeah, the next morning as they're leaving Hutch's place to go into work. Uh, they get shot at by a bad guy. Uh, Starsky gets all rattled because they're they're blowing out the tires on his beloved uh, Gran Torino, I... and uh, the bad guy gets away. But they trace his plate, and they go they go to bust the guy, and his his young son is throwing knives at them. Right, like uh, it was a guy who like lives in Koreatown. They bust in through the door. Um, they get the guy, but like you said, the son hops behind the kitchen counter. And, like, throws knives at them, you know, right. just willy-nilly. He gets, like, I believe he gets Starsky in the back a couple times, and mm-hmm. and, and Hutch gets hit. And I, I also read that they were, like, Todd Phillips originally wanted the kid to throw um, ninja stars. Throwing stars, yeah, yeah. 
But, uh, but th- that would have been an automatic uh, mature rating in, in the UK because I guess uh, Ninja Stars are, are banned there. So, oh, is that what that? Yeah, because I read that. I was like, that that makes no sense. Like, yeah, are, are Ninja Star like are under eighteen kids shouldn't be seeing Ninja Stars in the UK? Uh, it, 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 apparently, any scene featuring Ninja Stars automatically gets an eighteen rating in the UK. So, wow. I, so to, to save their rating and to give, give them the widest possible audience about ninja stars. When I yeah. was in shop class Interesting. in junior high, first day they made a big deal about never make ninja stars. Yes, they really work. No, you can't make them. And the instructor just really <laughs> got on his high horse about this. So at some point, somewhere, a twelve-year-old kid threw a ninja star, and somebody died. Clearly, wow! Oh, jeez, I could see that. Yeah, because I remember like ninja stars being like the one of the coolest things, like in junior high or something like that. Like, I don't know. Like, it was like one of those things like boys were like super obsessed with. It's like, oh, ninja stars—they're rad. Like you mm-hmm. know how kids are obsessed with like nunchucks at one point or whatever. Or uh, butterfly knives. Butterfly knives. Yeah. Oh, I've seen my share of those. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are all like the coolest thing when you're like 14. Yeah. Like you keep like a, a knife in your boot, like your crocodile Dundee or something. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody thinks they're super rad. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so they, they finally managed to arrest the, the perp and they bring him downtown to interrogate him. And Starsky decides to, uh, intimidate him by playing by pretending to play Russian roulette. He empties his gun and pretends to load a bullet back in, but the bullet accidentally ends up in the chamber, unbeknownst to Starsky. And so he's he thinks he has an empty gun, but the the perp realizes that there actually is a bullet in the chamber. So he's <laughs> he's getting really scared. Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of threw me off because like we've established that Starsky is just like by the book kind of, you know, straight-laced dude. And so he interrogates somebody by using Russian roulette and, thro- mm-hmm. <laughs> and threatening to blow him and or his and or the other guy's brains out. It's a, uh, yeah. it's, a, uh, it's a little extreme, but, I mean, you know, got to gotta get that coke somehow. It, it is. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe he's still coked up. Maybe it's just Ben Stiller was like, I want to play another angry scene. <laughs> <laughs> But or, or it was the 70s and Russian roulette was still by the book. <laughs> was that standard regulation? In the any, any cops from the 70s that listen, please let us know. Was like, oh, yeah, we take in a perp, play some Russian roulette, and we, uh, we got our man. It, it was still the age of Dirty Harry. I'm sure that that sort of thing was perfectly okay. Wow. Wow, wow. It's, I'm, I'm kind of sorry I missed all that. <laughs> um, uh, so... They eventually settle that down, and we we find out that Hutch, like he speaks Korean, so he talks to Chow, the suspect, um, and uh, you know they form a friendship. and he And he finds out that uh, the Chow, the guy he met who hired him to kill uh, Sarsky and or Hutch, he met them on a yacht, and that that sort of triggers a memory because they find out when they were talking to Reese Feldman before that he has a yacht. There's a bit nice picture of his yacht in his living room so they're like hey two people with yachts that's <laughs> that that's impossible so obviously it's the same guy there's only one man in bay city that has a yacht 
Right. Uh, yeah, so they make their way down to um, Reese's place. And while this, mm-hmm. you know, and at Reese's home, uh, his daughter's bat mitzvah is happening. And we see another appearance by uh, the Dan Band, who was also, they mm-hmm. were also in old school. And, um, you know, the lead singer singing uh, Feel Like Making Love to You at a bat mitzvah, which is highly inappropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Dan Man is another one of Todd Phillips's trademarks, or at least it was for his comedies. They they appear in uh, old school. I believe they they appear at the end of The Hangover as well, and they they are always singing like a cover song, and it gets inappropriately sexual. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and it it does again here where <laughs> the the lead singer finishes off the song. He's saying like rock into Eliz- womanhood, Elizabeth. I know that you will. <laughs> and Reese is like, what's, what's that mean? What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. What's yeah. that about? Um, but uh, but I enjoyed, I also enjoyed seeing like Vince Vaughn just kind of groove into the song. He's he, he's pulling out some of his disco moves. It's a great song. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then we see that um, there was a, somebody had brought a gift to this bot mitzah. It's a huge, mm-hmm. it's a huge human-sized gift, and they open it. They don't know who it's from, and we see uh, Starsky and Hutch dressed as mimes, and now you're t- undercover as mimes because they're masters of disguise. Right now, uh, Greg, you're telling me like this was like part of from the TV show them dressed it as was. mimes. Um, interestingly, it wasn't something they went undercover doing. Starsky and Hutch would often uh-huh. go undercover in the most insane disguises, and they often included ridiculous hats. But uh, sure. But the mime thing, apparently, you know, most cops, when they go off duty, they go to the bar and they drink. When Starsky and Hutch are off duty, they hang out at the house with Huggy and they put on weird little vaudeville skits for their dates. And that's what this was. <laughs> they got dressed up as mimes in those exact outfits. And it was like the, the wow. tag of an episode, just the the fun human moment after the bad guys have all gone away, hanging out at, at Hutch's place, putting on a mime skit for Huggy and the girls. So they did this when they were off the clock, off the clock, like for just, just because, because that's what you do. That seems like a lot of work. (laughs) I know you've got to get that makeup just right. That's, uh, that's not something I would want to do on a date. You know, because like if, if the date goes well and things start getting romantic, then you then you got to stop and take off all the exactly. Yeah. It was just it was just it just crazy. seems like a lot of work. The funny thing was, I I <laughs> was looking on YouTube and there, um, David Soul and Paul Glazer and uh, um, Antonio Vargas apparently have been doing a lot of cons, a lot of convention panels. Yes, and stuff. they were actually at the East Coast Comic and, Con um, a few years ago. At some point, somebody asked them what they liked the best, and David Soul said, oh, well, I always liked the little comedy routines at the end of the show where we would get dressed uh-huh. up and be silly. And it's like, oh, my God, you guys, you're just so not helping the slash fiction thing. <laughs> So I guess I guess those scenes were just put in there to appease the actors. Pretty or much, like that. the in fact the whole that's so funny. The final two thirds of the show's run can almost be mm-hmm. cut into periods of various attempts to please appease Paul Michael Glazer and make him stop bitching to the press about how awful our show is. <laughs> So, 
So you think Paul? I read that he he like came close to leaving the show a few times, and he only came back at one point when he was like promised to direct because I think he wanted to be a feature film director. Yes, he, exactly. He did direct a number of feature films after the That's show. That's right. Yeah. And what has always made me laugh is one of the earliest films he directed could have been a Starsky and Hutch mm-hmm. episode. It was about a mentally ill guy who who killed people according to their phobias. And I think it was called Phobia. Oh, so wow. if you have a pathological fear of oh. bunnies, the killer would figure out a way to make bunnies murder you. Like that. And... That's not a bad. That's not a terrible idea. It's not, no, it's it's not, it's not so a cool. terrible idea, but it was executed in a very Starsky and Hutch way. So, mm, got it. You know, wow. So, like, yeah. So the mime thing was just. It's not like Paul like walking up to the director saying, "Hey, this TV show is cool and all, but how can we work in my mime work?" Like, yeah, into, like into that. Sketch. It was just, you know, Glazer was just obsessed with the idea of. I think I think what he would always say is he wants to make them more human, which is such an actorish mm-hmm. thing to say. You know, right? Um, you're human just by virtue of being a human. So what they really mean right. when they <laughs> say that is usually like, "I want to do something different. I'm I'm tired of being a tough guy. I want to show that I can cry, or you know, like that." I want to show my versatility as yeah, an actor. Pretty much. Now it's Glazer's thing. Yeah. It, yeah. You you guys mentioned that, uh, you know, they're doing a lot of cons these days, and they actually were at uh, my local Comic-Con, the East Coast Comic-Con in, uh, in Secaucus a couple of years ago in, in 2018. And I remember this because, uh, like, usually I moderate a few panels at the con and I was just, I think this was on a Sunday and I was just kind of wandering around the con because I was done with all my stuff. So I just wandering around talking to people. And then one of the people behind the con just comes to me and was like, Hey, um, we need a moderator for the Starsky and Hutch panel. Would you oh be available? Gosh. And I was like, well, I've never, I was like, I've never watched much of the show. So I'm not too, too familiar uh, you know, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick my head in the panel, you know, cause the panel had already started at this point and apparently they were expecting a moderator and they didn't have one. Um, but I, I stuck my head in there and it was maybe like 20 minutes in and they're just taking questions in the audience. And they're just riffing off each other. And I was just like, they're doing fine. They don't need a moderator. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I just sat there and I think I, I might've watched the rest of the panel. I can't remember, but but that was like my one brief encounter with the two of them. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. So the, so I had a like a near miss with <laughs> moderating a, a Starsky and Hutch panel, and I oh I would have been vamping so much if I had to do that for real. <laughs> oh, like remember that time you you jumped well, you know, over I'm, your hood of your car? I'm probably as close to an expert as you'd get, and I don't know how I would moderate a panel. Yeah. I have no idea what I would ask. I mean, it would be, yeah, I would be yeah, torn between yeah, I, asking really asshole questions like, so did you guys really hate working on the show as much as you all said you did? Or else just do right. questions like, what's your favorite episode? I don't, I don't, I don't right. know how I right. would moderate a panel and keep it moving and keep it interesting. The mm-hmm. closest I had to do to that is, um, 
at another con, uh, they had uh, uh, Sam Jones and Melody Anderson from the 1980 Flash Gordon movie there. And they asked me like an hour before the panel was scheduled. They were like, can you moderate this one? And I was like, okay, well, I haven't seen it in a number of years, but I've at least seen that movie, so I can do that. So I just spent the next hour just going on Wikipedia and IMDb to like, you know, find good stories I could tee them up for. And fortunately, they were both great uh, panel guests, so I didn't have to work too hard for that one. Wow. But uh, yeah, that that was that was a funky one. Wow, you're like everybody's go-to guy for for to be a moderator, man. Well, at at, at the East Coast Comic Con, at least because oh, okay. you know they know me and I have a nice relationship with the folks running it. Oh, all right. Um, uh, shout out. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Mimes. Wow, we really went on a tangent there. <laughs> well, that's what we do. That is what that's we what do. we do. Um, yeah, in the middle of their Mimax, uh, Starsky breaks off to go follow Reese as he's taking a phone call. And he hears Big Earl calling him and saying, hey, I've delivered that package for you. It's in the garage. And so he's thinking, oh, well, there's the big cocaine shipment that's in the garage. So they uh, they make a big show of arresting Feldman and... He, he shoots open the garage door, and then they open the garage door, and it's not a cocaine shipment. It's a pony. That was a surprise for Feldman's daughter. That's right. Dave Starsky the, kills a pony. Yeah, and they just shot the pony. That's right. <laughs> um, so iguanas and ponies. <laughs> lots, lots of animal abuse in this movie. And uh, I read on uh, IMDb. Let me see if I can find this. This apparently was not the only movie from this year that featured uh, Ben Stiller killing an animal. Oh, uh, let me see if I can, I can find this. Oh yeah. I think it's uh, the, the movie envy, right? I think it was. Yeah. The movie envy. He also kills a horse by accident in that move in the movie envy, which also came out in 2004. So that's wow. If, if you, if that's something you want to see, if you want to see Ben Stiller accidentally killing a horse, uh, movies from 2004. That's your ticket. Yeah. If you want to see, uh, you know, John Belushi accidentally kill a horse, watch Animal House. There's sure. that too. Yeah. You know, I mean, killing horses accidentally, it's it's just good entertainment. <laughs> That's right. It's just a fun Saturday night. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, Captain Dobie, very angry at this, and he, he takes them off the case even though I don't think he ever officially put them back on the case after he took them off the case earlier in the movie. Uh, yeah, I think he officially like suspends them as cops. He's like, you know, turn in your badge and go. Okay, okay. Because this this moment I was getting a little confused. I was like, wait, they were already off the case. They were doing all this on their own time. <laughs> now you're super off the case. <laughs> They're on double secret purpose. Oh, you read my mind! <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> And, and we also come to a personal crisis between Starsky and Hutch because Hutch learns that Starsky filed for a transfer two weeks ago because he was just like, I can't work with this guy. And he, he says all sorts of critical things in the transfer request. Right. And Hutch feels very betrayed. Uh, so this is like we're at the low point where the, our duo has gone to separate ways and we, mm -hmm. we get a nice little sad montage while the Carpenters play in the background. It's yes. Pretty, it's pretty heartbreaking. We see them going their own ways, trying to you know, piece their lives back together. We see um, uh, Starsky running on the beach, reminiscing about yeah. the time him and Hutch were running on the beach together wearing T-shirts with their names on it. Yeah. Again, which is, which was actually shot. a publicity shoot. for That the... was an actual yes. publicity photo of the two of them back in the day. Yeah. 
Yeah, of just Paul Michael Glazer and David Soule running on the beach with their windswept hair. White t-shirts. Don't forget the windswept hair. Yeah, it was like something off with windswept hair, and they're running on the beach together with white t-shirts with that say Starsky and Hutch in rainbow letters. Honest to God, it was like something (laughs) off a Harlequin romance cover. It and and you look at this in the context of the movie, and you think, oh, well, this is just a goofy thing the movie came up with. No, that's a thing they drew from the real show. How could a movie come up with that? No, I mean it's it's too insane not to actually be from the seventies. I think. Yeah, that's pretty. It's 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 heartwarming. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Then we see Hutch. He's getting. You know, he's kind of going his own way. He's getting drunk in bars. He's getting drunk in Huggy's bar. Huggy's is very concerned. He's saying, "Hey, man, you got to get out of here. You're, you know, you're kind of wasting your life away." And and Hutch is like, "What are you talking about? Well, come on, it's, it's Saturday night. We're here to party." And then Huggy's like, "Dude, it's it's Wednesday afternoon. What are you talking about?" Right. And and then Hutch realizes, "Oh, it's Wednesday. That means I've got to pick up Willis from school." And then we cut to Willis, who's who had to walk to Hutch's house because there was nobody to pick him up from school and he's he's po'd and he he throws a football at hutch's front door and that sets off uh the explosive that they set there right because uh because reese's men uh planted a bomb at uh, hutch's house which is a very 70s cop show kind of thing i think that i think that happens in one of the lethal weapon movies too yeah they plant a bomb at the guy's house when because the detective's getting too close that's right <laughs> so what better way to get the police off your tail than to blow up a police detective's <laughs> house? That's a subtle way to tell them to back off. Right. <laughs> I mean, that that's a thing I think happens in movies all the time, but I don't think it ever happens in life. I, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you got to go to that extreme. I think everyone yeah. has internalized by now that murdering a police officer is a way to bring a laser focus to the investigation that they're working on it's it's the yeah. exact opposite effect of what they want which is to make it go away yeah i i don't think at any point uh, uh, the police force would just shrug their shoulders and be like oh well guess we got to leave these guys alone they weren't on to anything <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, I guess Hutch left the gas on or something. That's that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer. Um, so yeah, so st- we see Starsky. He he goes to visit Willis in the hospital, and and it's awkward between Skar- Starsky and Hutch because you know Hutch feels very betrayed, uh, but but they manage to forgive each other. Yeah, because I think at one point um, Starsky tries to you know make amends, and then Hutch tells him to you know to to screw off, and mm-hmm. so. Dave Scarcy leaves, and you know the Willis and Huggy Bear who are who are there says, "Hey, he was trying to apologize, man." And then I think Huggy Bear says one of my funny, my favorite lines, like, "You know, a great man says to err is human, but to forgive that's divine." Right. <laughs> and then I think uh, Ken said, "Who who said that?" And Huggy says, "I believe that was said by God, the greatest Mac of all." Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with that. It's a fact, yeah. It's a fact, man. I mean, you know, partly because it doesn't make much sense, but you can't argue with that. It's also a good sentiment. And partly because God didn't say that. Right, right. Um, But the important thing is that Starsky and Hutch have now forgiven each other. They're tight again. And so they go to decide to to track Reese down. Uh, So they tail him for a while. They're photographing him meeting with all the biggest drug dealers in Bay City. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, so it's two of them. They, 
you left out one of the great oh, moments where they hug it out in the hospital corridor and Starsky starts weeping and then he denies that he's crying. Yeah. And that, uh, right. that just right. cracked me up. It's like, I'm not crying. You're crying. Yes. It was, um, yeah. But there was some lines like, I'm, I'm not crying. Cops don't cry. I don't, you know, I'm blankety blank. Yeah. He's, he's somebody that doesn't cry. I forget what it was, but. Yeah, yeah, because we're still in the seventies. We're we're halfway between the the macho man stuff and the uh, sensitive Alan Alta types. So. Right. It's like, no, I'm a man. I got hobbies. I, I do push-ups. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll cry, but I got to lie about it. <laughs> That's right. It's very healthy for a man. Healthy way for a man to live. Absolutely. Repress those emotions. Yeah. That's, <laughs> they won't come back to haunt you. Nope. Um. So yeah. So so they're. They're reconciled. They're they're tracking Reese. They're photographing him meeting with all the biggest drug dealers in Bay City, but they can't get anything on him because it's not illegal to just meet with drug dealers. Apparently, it's not. <laughs> you know, they're just talking. They're just talking. You see any drugs? No, I'm talking. To, nope. I'm talking to a drug dealer. I'm not dealing with a drug dealer. Totally fine. Right. No. Yeah. It's it's all on the up and up. Yeah. Uh, so that, and they're just like, they can't get too close because Reese knows what they look like and he's, he's familiar with their, their mind disguises. So they don't have many options. Right. But then I think uh, Hutch realized, oh, they don't know what Huggy Bear looks like. So, uh so they decide to send Huggy Bear undercover. And this was another gag I like. They, They have him with, you know, an absurdly big wire. It's literally a microphone taped to his chest, and then on his side he's got like a walkie-talkie with a, with a hard antenna <laughs> picking, uh, sticking up on his side. Uh, I enjoyed that gag. I do like how they have like all the old technology in this mm-hmm. in this movie, and they kind of make fun of it. Like when Starsky goes jogging on the beach, he has those huge headphones with like the antennas sticking out of it as his, right. as his headset. And uh, like whenever they use a the walkie-talkie, it's like literally like a walkie-talkie inside of a shoebox. Right. Like stuff like that yeah. I got a kick out of. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they go to uh this big fundraiser for the Nearly There Foundation, uh, where where they're sure that the drug deal is gonna go down, but they don't know how it's gonna go down. And we see Juliet Lewis as Kitty, uh Reese's girlfriend, and she's she's running like the the coat check area and she's and all the uh the big wigs are they're turning in briefcases with the money, the payoffs, and then they get tickets for the car raffle. Right. And uh, and then we learn that the coke is in the trunk of the car being raffled off. Right, right. And and we we also have some more great disguises for Starsky and Hutch. Uh, Starsky's this uh, he, he's invented this whole character of I, I think the name was Milt Feldman. I, think it, I thought it was Maury Finkel. Maury Finkel, that was it. Okay. Um, and and he's you know he's he's got this you know whole salt and pepper thing going on and and Hutch has a cowboy thing happening but he's not as committed of an actor as Starsky is so he's a little out to sea with his character right and he has like a uh, Starsky has like a deeper voice and that's where we get the whole do it do it do it thing like I think that was one of the things that kind of stuck in my head from the movie I think that that be, kind of became a thing I remember a lot of my friends was saying like hey do it do it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. like the movie is <laughs> do it, right, right. And you know, like, like I say, another callback to the TV show. We have an abs- a nice absurd hat for Hutch. 
Exactly. Every, yeah, that nice little 10-gallon head. Could have just walked off the show in that outfit. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, one of the things I noticed playing with my DVD sets here in the house is how this the original show was mm-hmm. never, ever, ever meant to be screened a bunch in a row. You you weren't supposed to binge. Oh yeah, you were like absolutely. You were not supposed yeah. to binge old television because they would reuse shots. You realize when you watch a lot of those episodes back to back how repetitive those shows oh, yeah. are and how formulaic they can be at times. Yeah, yeah. So, but I did appreciate the nod to uh, the big hat disguise, which was very much a go to for Starsky and Hutch. Right. Even the episode that John likes about right. Las Vegas that he's brought up with Linda Carter. Um, mm-hmm. They um, they go to get outfitted to go undercover in Vegas, and they go to Huggy Bear, entrepreneur, who outfits them like they're going to be starring in a community theater production of Guys and Dolls, complete with giant fedoras. <laughs> And that shot ended oh, up in nice. the credits for like the next two years. It was it was a big oh, deal cool. for them. Big hats. I you know like I wanted to watch some more of the old episodes in preparation for for this episode of the podcast. But and, and they've got the first two seasons of Starsky and Hutch on Amazon Prime. But they're like a dollar ninety nine an episode, and it's like. Do I want to pay uh, like that much to to watch an episode? Like, it, Greg, you were telling me you you got the season sets for just like five yeah. bucks a piece, and that seems that about is right. about right. I if it, if yeah. they were, you know, and I have tremendous childhood uncritical affection for it. You know, I mean, it's like. Mm-hmm. There are shows from when I was a kid where, yeah, I can see the zipper on the monster suit and I just don't care. You know, it makes me smile. It makes me happy. It reminds me of hanging out with my friends and watching this stuff. But I would never spend real money on it. You know, I don't I don't think yes. I could bring myself to go $10 for a season set of Starsky and Hodge. Um, yeah, that's but five and a good. That's a good will, rule of thumb. Absolutely, I'm in. Yeah, that's a good way to go about it. And um, and I so, have to admit that I have had much more than five dollars worth of entertainment about having it here at the house. Julie and I have just well, there laughed you and laughed and laughed. My wife, it must be said, is a Reformed Baptist. She grew up very sheltered. Um, she blushes furiously at any kind of double entendre and we'll be watching an old mm-hmm. episode of Starsky and Hutch, especially from like the second season. And, and it'll be a deep, tense, dramatic moment. And suddenly Julie will just burst out. Oh, for God's sake, just kiss him. <laughs> <laughs> and kiss, it, kiss, it's kiss. 10 times as funny coming from her. I'm the one that you would expect to sure. make the, the gay joke, but for Julie to go there just never, never fails to crack me up. And and she's absolutely it, sincere. She's just out of patience. <laughs> you know, it's like, why are you guys even kidding yourselves? Um, 
it would have been hilarious if at the end of this movie we just had Ben Stiller and and Owen Wilson just kissing. Just they just French kiss and we go out on a freeze frame of that. And that that would have been hilarious. I would have been happy with the two so of them holding people. hands down by the pier. That would have yes. been okay. Yeah. Just like really lean into it and just have them be a couple by the end of the movie. It's the exact same movie up until that point, mm-hmm. but just go all the way with it. Hot. Uh, so, um, so Starsky and Hutch, they figure out how they're transporting the drugs. They're transporting it through the car that's being auctioned off in the raffle uh, or raffled off. That is, I guess you don't auction in, in a raffle. Um, and so, so Hutch decides to pretend that he's the winner of the raffle and they just kind of disrupt the, the process and, and they go up in character and they're like, Hey, let's pop the trunk and get that new car smell. Do it, do it, do it. And, you know, then they, they draw their guns and reveal their identities. <gasps> and yeah, I know it's a shocker. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then after that, there's a bit of a Mexican standoff. Cause um, mm-hmm. that's when Reese realizes the jig is up, uh, pulls a gun on Hutch, uh, mm-hmm. like holds him, you know, saying, Hey, you shoot me. I shoot your boy here. Uh, right. That's when we have Kevin pull a gun out on the audience <laughs> get all the other cops that are in the audience, and then like, hey, what, what are we doing yeah, here? Captain Doby's in the audience. Captain you know. Doby's in the audience, but he's he's also kind of drunk. The captain, he's feeling no pain, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, I think at this point, what we have like uh, Starsky says, "Hey, give me the okay, I'll take the shot." Like Hutch and Hutch says, "Don't, don't take the shot. Don't take the shot. You ain't got you, it. You do not have my permission. <laughs> do not shoot." Uh, I enjoyed that. I mean, it's like because almost. On like a typical cop show or a cop movie, it'd be like, "Yeah, take the shot. I trust you, partner." But here he's like, "No, no, you you cannot do this. I do not want to be shot. Do not shoot the gun." <laughs> right. So then, like Starsky puts down his gun slowly, and then like really quickly, he t- he tries to take the shot to take uh, from behind the back. Tries to shoot Reese. He ends up shooting the yeah. captain in the shoulder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He shoots Captain Doby. Uh, he gets a little lucky in that Captain Doby doesn't know who shot him, though. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's when Hutch says, oh, no, it was Reese. He shot you, man. Uh, so at, yeah. at this point, we have Reese, Kevin, and Kitty just making a getaway with the dough. Um, the guys chase after them. We got a good old-fashioned car chase mm-hmm. across the... Car chase through a golf course. Golf course, yeah. I haven't seen that in a while. Mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting. Uh, they make it to the yacht with the dough, and um, you know they're off in the waters... By the time Starsky and Hutch get there, they're already they're already out to sea. Hutch says, "All right, you know what? I got an idea. Let's do this. Drive to the pier." So they drive to the pier, right. and Hutch says, "Okay, I want you to drive off the pier and to land on that boat." Right. Which, how? <laughs> <laughs> but that I mean, but that's the sort of stunt you see all the time on cop shows are are probably more likely movies because it's a it's a pretty big stunt yeah um so so yeah we see like after after a little pep talk from hutch and and, you know just talking about how good their partnership is uh starsky revs up the engine he goes off the edge of the dock to land it on the boat and we see the car just totally overshoot and sailing over the boat over the yacht uh and land in the water which i thought was great i mean i that was pretty. That was pretty hilarious. For a minute, I thought they were going to make it, and the fact that right. they didn't even made it even funnier. 
Yeah, they shot her from just the right angle because it really did look like they were going to make it. And then you see it just totally overshoot the mark and land straight in the water, which was great. It's pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic. They've, so. They played that rousing music to make you think mm-hmm. they were going to do it. Totally didn't yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's one of the better gags in the movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, um, and so we, we just see Starsky and Hutch, they come up in the water, and you know, the, of course the bad guys are getting away. We see the boat going off towards the horizon in the distance, and, and Starsky's so upset that his car sank, he, he wants to dive down and rescue it. <laughs> Maybe I can save it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we cut back to the yacht, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point uh, Reese sees that the that the yacht is stalling for some reason, so he goes down to check. Yeah, the engine stalls. Yeah, so he goes down to check it out. Uh, Huggy Bear's there, and he and uh, Huggy mm-hmm. Bear smacks him with a nine iron because yeah, he's like, "I found your nine iron, bitch!" Whack. Right, because no. like Huggy Bear was went undercover as a caddy with uh, Reese, and Reese was uh, pretty uh, not nice to him. I think he actually slaps him at one point. Which, I, yeah. from what I've read, like Snoop didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that was an improv. And yeah, Snoop finished the take and then he goes, what the fuck was that? <laughs> as you should. So. As I would. As anybody would. Indeed. Right. Like, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so Snoop uh, defeats the bad guys and then they, they capture it. We cut back to the police station and we got a, a nice framed headline. It just says, biggest drug bust in Bay City history. And so Starsky and Hutch, they're the hero cops. Yeah, there's, like, there's actually one scene that I thought was interesting, too, where uh, we see the two cheerleaders, um, Stacy and Holly, and they're talking mm-hmm. to uh, a pimp. <laughs> and the pimp is trying to convince them to do, like, private parties. And then they're like, right. and they're saying, oh, no, I think the cheerleaders have, you know, certain rules against that. We can't do that. And then the guy's like, well, they need to change that policy, baby. And right. um, yeah. that is, I mean, I'm sure most of you know, that was uh, Don Magic Wan, who was a legitimate pit back in the 70s and who's like a good friend of Snoop Dogg. I did not know that he was a for real pimp. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like uh, he was also an old school. Like him and Snoop Dogg go back a ways, and yeah, like in the seventies, he was like a legit pimp, and like he, but like now he's like kind of like a personality and an actor. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he says he, he says he doesn't do doesn't do it anymore. So, okay, I wonder if that was that was perhaps just an off camera conversation that they just happened to catch. Uh, he's just he's just trying legitimately trying to turn out Carmen Electra. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, like Amy Smart's like, "Hey, I'm an actress. I don't, I don't do that." Yeah. But if this acting thing doesn't work out, I mean, you could make a lot of money. You can get paid, baby. <laughs> um, and we also see Captain Doby uh, just talking with uh, uh, Huggy Bear and saying, "Like, hey, you know, there's one thing I don't understand. Um, you know, there, you know, how did you sneak on to the boat?" And, and Huggy Bear gives him an explanation, and then and we see Hutch also. Go to Huggy Bear, and he's like, you know, and it's weird. There was one of those briefcases with five million dollars in it that just vanished. <laughs> and Huggy's like, oh, gee, that's too bad. I hope you find that. <laughs> um, hey, did I tell you that my uncle passed away and left me a lot of money? <laughs> Check out my new fur coat, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Starsky still down in the dumps because his beloved uh, Grand Torino is at the bottom of the the ocean. And and Huggy's like, hey, cheer up! I found these two dudes who who are selling their car, and 
and I told them to come out. And so they go out to the front of the station house and what, what do we see there? And a brand new striped tomato with the original TV, Starsky and Hutch, Paul Michael Glazer and David Soule making a little cameo appearance yeah. in costume. Right. They're dressed exactly like uh, Starsky and Hutch are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's nice to it see them. It is impossible to and I gotta say, Paul Michael how Glazer. happy that scene made me. Did you know no, it was coming? I didn't. I had been kind of keeping an eye peeled for them because that's what often happens in these remake tribute movies. Sure. Uh, and I had been yeah. looking especially for Antonio Fargas to show up at some point. It's so weird they he didn't pop up but somewhere. Did, uh, yeah, I, from what I read, he he was offered. The weird thing is that well, they, the, uh, Antonio Fargas, he was. They showed up as themselves. They're literally Starsky yeah. and Hutch in a Grand Torino. Yes. Yeah. It was like yeah. some sort of DC and, Comics Earth One, Earth Two thing. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like the the Earth Two Starsky and Hutch, and they're 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 twenty years older and. <laughs> Yeah, or or I guess more like thirty years older. Because I was I was willing to buy into the fact that it was just a coincidence until the police radio went off and both Starskys reached for it. Yes, I mean because yeah, the the Grand Torino is already outfitted with the police radio, <laughs> and and you see Paul Michael Glazer just sort of lecturing Ben Stiller, and you can see he's as possessive about the car as Ben Stiller Starsky was. And uh, Paul Michael Glazer looked amazing, by the way. He looked like he'd hardly aged. He's, I don't know what that guy does, but he he obviously takes care of himself. Clearly. Drinks a lot of water. Yeah. 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 Runs on the beach to uh, Chicago songs. Sure. What I can't figure out is how David yeah, Soul's whole face got so different. Uh, yeah, his his face really changed. He used like, to he, look he really weight. He's kind got, like, of you know, ephemeral and going elfin, on. almost. Yeah. And now the whole yeah. shape in his um, face you has know, changed. But, yeah, yeah. Um, there's also a nice moment where, um, like, uh, Ben Stiller's Starsky just, you know, goes like, hey, Hutch. And then they cut to David Soul standing next to Owen Wilson and, and David Soul just goes to Owen Wilson. I think he means you. And we see Owen Wilson give him like a little pat on the shoulder. Which, you know, that was nice. It's a nice little passing of the torch sort of thing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And also, as far as the Antonio Fargas thing goes, he apparently from what I'm seeing, he was offered a, a cameo role in this movie, but he for some reason he didn't show up. I'm trying to, I can't find out what happened, but he just, yeah, he, just, he was just like, nah, and just didn't show up. I wonder what they were going to have him do. I don't know. Maybe play like Snoop Dogg's dad or something. I don't know. Like I, I, I wonder if the part they wanted him to play is still in the movie in some fashion. You know, maybe, maybe deleted scenes. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But so Starsky gets a uh, replacement for his beloved uh, Ford Torino, and uh, you know we see him saying like, "Oh, well, I'm just going to take it easy, get used to it," and then we see him like gunning the engine and then jumping over a a hill and. And then, then the movie ends yeah. to the to the tune of uh, Aerosmith's "Sweet Emotion." Right, and we get some fun credit scenes. Right, and then we get like a whole collection of uh, stunt mis- mishaps with the car and all the all the cars that they totaled while making this film. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And and we see Vince Vaughn chucking uh, Juliet Lewis over the <laughs> the side of the yacht. 
which apparently was in the movie, but they axed it when test audiences didn't like it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that was like that was too far. You know. Yeah. Julia Lewis is America's sweetheart. How dare you treat us as such? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I would have been fine with that. That, that <laughs> seemed like it was pretty funny, and her character was pretty annoying. So, so I would have been fine with that. So overboard she goes. Yes. <laughs> Heave ho. So so that's that's Starsky and Hutch. I mean, what did so? How did you like this as a fan of the TV show, Greg? How did it work um, for you? It worked better for me if I didn't think about the TV show very much. See, the, I kept gotcha. tripping over the idea that Hutch was crooked. The, the uh-huh. way that they differentiated them on the show was very different. Paul Michael Glazer in the original show was the streetwise, working class, meat and potatoes guy. And Hutch, David Soul, was very much the holistic, vegetarian, interested in astrology, tried to get Starsky to meditate. Mm-hmm. You know, he was into every 70s fad that came along. And that was how they differentiated them. Hutch was the hippy-dippy free thinker, and Starsky was the straight-ahead guy. But they were both very straight arrow policemen and they would they would mm-hmm. both get very emotionally upset at the idea of drugs poisoning kids in the ghetto and like that and huggy i already talked about as being the the failed entrepreneur and i i don't know i would have liked it better if they had come a little closer to that because we've seen I mean, honestly, a lot of this movie felt like a remake of the Tom Hanks Dragnet. Except Joe Friday mm-hmm. really was a tight ass. And putting him with a hippy-dippy partner is something that, you know, you can generate a lot of laughs with. But it just felt off. That I can see that, yeah. Here. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I remember, like, when this movie came out and I couldn't find this clip, but I remember like some behind the scenes promo thing and Ben Stiller was talking about, I think the concept they had for the movie was doing like sort of the lost pilot episode telling about how Starsky and Hutch came together. And I think the concept was supposed to be like, they were originally in the roles, but then they got fired and then they hired the guys from the TV show. And, and the producers were like, yeah, make it like, 40% 40% less funny. Mm. <laughs> so, so that was that was kind of their concept going into it, where so they were doing it slightly more of a comedy. And I think it's funny to look at it in that light, where it's like this is the failed version, and then the the Paul Michael Glazer, David Soul version was the real version. Um but but yeah, I I can relate to what you're saying, Greg, because uh I had I had some of the same like when they made a movie version of the A Team, I had to kind of adjust my my conceptions a little bit because they interpreted some of the characters very differently from how they did the TV show. Yeah, and you know I I said earlier I really don't want to be that guy. There's just no, it's being a purist about a spelling cop show is not a hill I'm going to die on, but. Uh, right, but it did throw me out a little bit. Watching it with Julie worked better because she is not invested. She was able to enjoy yeah. it more just as a movie, 
and um, mm-hmm. and I found myself sort of unclenching about a lot of it. Yeah, well, that's good. You're you're able to see it through her eyes, and you know it's it's certainly a better movie than uh, like either the Charlie's Angels movies or the uh, the Mod Squad movie. I remember that <laughs> being pretty bad. Yeah, Dukes of Hazard wasn't too great a movie either. Yeah. yeah. Well, they so, they made uh, decisions yeah, well, uh, that I thought were brilliant, and the big one was keeping it in the seventies. Oh yeah, that that was that so much was fun. a mistake. I, I enjoyed it. The also, when... was the idea that you could update it. It's like you you really can't. Yeah, I mean exactly. Even even the name, the Mod Squad, it's a dated name. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta keep that in in the. The 60s, 70s, whichever that one was. It was like early 70s, yeah. I think. 68 to 73. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah I... you know, again, that was another, uh, that was another spelling show where the cops were like super straight up, straight edge people mm-hmm. with this, this hipster veneer. And, um, and that was that was kind of the formula you know the 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 mm-hmm. idea that a cop could be even a little crooked or look the other way on little things never happened on a spelling show it just right. never happened it was unthinkable and um, yeah, because the, the, they were very black and white. They in were their, the, in their the, morality, like you know, and I'm sure got, that's a lot. Like the Charlie's Angels, they didn't leave the police. Paul force. Michael Glazer was bitching about as an actor was mm-hmm. always having to be Mister Straight Arrow, right? And um, and I could see how that would get a little boring for the actors to play. Yeah. But yeah, they were very black and white in their morality. Like on on Charlie's Angels, I remember, you know, they didn't leave the police force because they were corrupt. They left the police force because they just ran into the sexism. Exactly. And they were like, no, we can we can be our own effective crime fighters. We can go undercover as belly dancers and fight crime. The as other you interesting do. As you do. Is how far these shows drift over the course of Aaron. The Charlie's Angels pilot mm-hmm. is actually on YouTube as well. And the interesting thing is it's kind of a good movie. I mean, it's a good, solid crime story. Uh-huh. The whole jiggle television fair. I should check that out. Didn't really happen until they were about halfway through the first season. That's mm-hmm. a lot of what happens with these shows is they get into these weird feedback loops. They read their own press. They start mm-hmm. leaning into the shticks and the catchphrases. And they forget to have the story. Like, yeah, and they kind of become caricatures of themselves. <laughs> Pretty much. And the caricature yeah. is what people remember. So when they Mm -hmm. do the remake, you know, anytime you do a remake thing like this, you have to play the hits. So you can't call it Starsky and Hutch unless you have the car 
and you have Huggy Bear and all the the trappings. And I would be interested. Was this movie a success? I don't even know. Did it? I think it was a modest yeah. success. Yeah, Darren, you usually have what they movies earned, right? Yeah. Uh, so this had a budget of sixty mil, and it made a hundred and seventy mil. So I think it was, I think it was an a modest success, like you said. But I don't think it, it was as big as Old School, which was like Todd Phillips' right. movie before this. And I think but I would be willing to bet that the blockbuster movie success is because of the fan following of the current actors in it. Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson yeah. in a comedy. Not because of weirdos yeah. like me yeah. who have deep affection for the original show. Cause, yeah, because I mean, at the time, like, I mean, Ben Stiller was pretty hot. He was like in every comedy. Owen Wilson was like, you know, he was on fire with it being in every comedy. You know, it was just a few years after they did Zoolander. So. Right, right. Of course, everybody loves Snoop Dogg. So, yeah, I think. You know, the fact that it was like sort of the same people that had that sort of uh, it were in the same like frat pack, you know, that that group of friends that were, you know, kind of in every comedy back in the early aughts. I think that's the thing that kind of drove it for the most part, because like that is the thing that I've noticed a lot of uh, movies that are made out of TV shows from the 70s try to do where they're like, all right, well, we're going to do a movie from this old TV show. But how can we make it so that the younger audience can get into it? How can we get the kids in? And I think the kids mm-hmm. were already in because the kids liked old school. And um, I mean, that Wedding Crashers wasn't around yet, but you know they liked Vince Vaughn and and that. So that w- kind of drew them in to this movie. Yeah. So yeah. I, and and Greg, I think you're right that it, I, setting it in the '70s was a good decision because that that did set it apart and that made it more fun. It would if if this was in the present day, it would just be like this generic thing, and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. It really wouldn't. And this the '70s parts are the parts that I enjoyed the most. The mm-hmm. uh, the riffing and the references to the original and all of that. And, um, you know, again, I come to it with such a skewed perspective. I don't know how successful that was for people coming to it cold. But, uh, but I think it works more just as a movie than as a Starsky and Hutch movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you you don't necessarily have to be that familiar with the show to uh, enjoy the movie for what it is. So yeah. I think it does work pretty well on its own terms. Anyway, but that's Absolutely. that's my feeling I about agree. it. Since you asked for the '70s perspective, that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, thanks so much for for doing this, Greg. We really enjoyed Not having at all. you. Thank on. you. Um, where can people? I appreciate your patience. Yeah. Where, with my where can people? Froggy voice that keeps blowing out. No. It's... Oh yeah, no! I I hope we didn't strain you too much. Yeah, your voice sounds great. Um, sounds like you're uh, Stephen Wright or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so where can people uh, follow you if they want to hear more of your cool perspectives on 70s TV shows and, well, and the like? Um, I have been a frequent podcast on the uh, guest on Radio Versus the Martians, which can be found mm-hmm. at radioversusthemartians.com. And uh, you can, they have a, a thing on their webpage that's just our panelists and you can find my name and click on it and you'll everyone i've been on will pop up i've i've 
nice. talked with them about Planet of the Apes and James Bond and Conan the Barbarian and all kinds of nerd stuff. Mike characterizes the show as the McLaughlin group for nerds, which is fairly accurate. Nice. Um, I write a, a, I try to keep to a weekly schedule. We've had some medical drama here lately, but I do write a, a regular column at atomicjunkshop.com, the same website that uh, that John writes for. And, um, yes. and in between yes. all those, I've heard good things about that. In yes. between all those, I write um, adventure stories for Airship 27 publications, usually. And um, you can find those on Amazon. Yeah, just my name and the words Airship 27, and it should come right up. But that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah, Greg. Greg's a great writer. I've I've been the beta reader for a number of his uh, Sherlock Holmes pastiches, and he's also got a original series called uh, Doc Fix-It uh, right now, which is all about a handyman type who builds all sorts of super devices for supervillains in the early 60s and that's that's a lot of that fun. is a lot of fun i can't believe i forgot to plug that that's the current project there's going to be a book collecting mm-hmm. the doc fix it stories out hopefully sometime next year i'm just wrapping that project up now that's cool yeah i've read the first uh, three stories and they're they're fun stuff um and i'm looking forward to seeing what the fourth one has in store so anyway so yeah, go go over to Amazon, uh, check him out, uh, Greg Hatcher, uh, Airship Twenty Seven, and also go over to AtomicJunkShop.com, and you can find a lot of uh, Greg's columns there. Ooh, far out. So all right. So I think that's it for us uh, for this week. We're going to be uh, back next week covering uh, another movie starring an SNL alum, uh, a new movie. Ooh, uh, the, the Suicide Squad. Movie yeah, starring Pete. Davis. Wow. So I'm I'm looking forward to yeah I'm looking forward to watching this movie. I've heard uh, nothing but good things about it. I think like on Rotten Tomatoes right now, as of this taping, it's at like 97 percent or 96 percent. And yeah, um, it debuted on Rotten Tomatoes at like 100. So uh, you know it's James Gunn. It looks like he did a great job with it. The previews look great. I'm I'm a big fan of the original uh, comic written by John Ostrander and Kim Yale. Uh, so. Yeah, that's. I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, it's a comic book movie. Folks, we're doing it. The Suicide Squad. So uh, stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be next week. Uh, but until then... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't we got to do our like our handles and stuff? Oh, yeah, we do have to plug ourselves, don't we? Yeah, that, that okay. might help. Uh, yeah, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on... Twitter at Trumbull Comic, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, and the word comic. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, donate to our Patreon, all at non-productive.com. Yes. Okay. So we've done the plugging thing. Right. So all right. Now. 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 Now we can say, until then, nerd, nerd out. out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.